Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. I want you guys have a seat. Let me get this open. Man, I'm, I'm excited to be... Thank you, worship team. You guys did awesome. I am excited to be able to preach to you guys this morning and... and uh, I'm just diving right in. I have a really hard time writing intros. I don't really know, so I'm just diving right in. I want to I wanna ask you a question. How important is your perspective, <laughs> your perspective in your everyday life? How important is your perspective in everyday life? And you're, you're probably thinking like, okay, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, the, the definition of perspective, there's, there's multiple definitions. One of the definitions of perspective is a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something. Put simply, it's your point of view. Another definition of perspective is actually uh, comes from the, like in the art realm. It's how you transfer a three-dimensional object in a, in, onto a two-dimensional page. So where you're standing, how you're looking at it, the, sh- the way the light, the shadow, all of that, how you see that, how does that transfer onto a two-dimensional space? And we, I, don't th- I think the, the, where we're at in life right now is that idea of your point of view or your perspective, another way of saying it is your truth, right, that's been really popularized nowadays more so than any other time. I think today, in today's day and age, we have to value one another's perspective or one another's point of view. And I think most oftentimes, in most contexts, that's absolutely true. I need to respect your perspective. You need to respect my perspective. But I believe that there is one arena that it doesn't really matter what your perspective is. There's only one correct one, and that is the way that we view God. There's no, oh, well, my, my perspective, the way that I see things. No, there, the only way that we are allowed to view God is through what his word says. I think, I think we could all agree on that. The problem is, is, is that a lot of times we allow our perspective to shift from person, from, from person to person on the topic of who God is, what he is, how he interacts with us. And unfortunately, our perspective determines our response. So let's look at the art analogy, right? The art, how, the art definition of our perspective. If I'm standing right here, I'm about probably about four feet away, and, I'm, and I want to draw the pulpit, right? I want to draw the pulpit onto a two-dimensional page. How I, how, you know, I'm 5'10", five, five, no one's 5'11", because if you're 5'11", you just round up to six foot, but I'm 5'10". <laughs> and so where my eyes at, how I'm, how I'm hitting it, you know, the, the, you know, the angle, all of that, how I'm going to transfer that onto, onto a two-dimensional space is going to be different than if, let's say, I was over here, right? And if I was over here. 
and so on and so forth. It, it, there, there is 360 degrees around this and infinite amount of, you know, decimal point degrees. Therefore, there, there, there are infinite amount of perspectives to draw this three-dimensional thing on a two-dimensional space, just like there are people, right? There are no two perspectives that are 100% identical. There can be similar. So let's say that because of life, what I've been through, what I've experienced has placed me right here. That gives me the perspective of this object. Well, there is no two people that have identical perspectives. There can be similar 100%. There's similar upbringing, similar backgrounds, similar experiences, all of that, that can get you close, but there are no two people that have the exact same perspective. And because this, and, and I view that, I, I feel that this is very important because perspective determines how we interact. So it's like, so if we are, we grow up in a certain way or we're raised in a certain environment, we, are, we experience certain things, we engage with the world around us from that point of view, correct? We engage, I'm going, so if I'm stationed here, I'm going to engage with this object from this perspective. And so that being the case, our perspective of God how we view him, the point of view that we have, dictates how we interact with him. And so I think with, with the amount of people in this room, it's fair to say that at some point in time in our life, we either currently or in the past or maybe e even in the future, or what it is is that we have an inconsistent perspective of who God is. If we have an inconsistent perspective of who God is, we will not have a consistent interaction with him. We will not engage with him from the perspective that he desires. Because believe it or not, God wants us to engage with him in a certain way. And he makes it, and I'm going to, towards the end, I'm going to make that very clear. Uh, he wants us to engage with him in a certain way. The problem is, is the enemy comes in and he lies and he tells us that we need to, that, that this is the way that God wants you to engage with him. This is, the, this is how you're supposed to, whether it's the enemy, whether it's, it's, it's an incomplete view of God, or based on experiences with other believers, churches, religious organizations, the lack thereof, or maybe simply we've never been taught the proper perspective to have of God. I believe that, that, that the three, I'm just, I'm, I speak from experience, the three ways that I've had in an, uh, the, uh, a perspective of God that I believe is wrong is, is first is maybe we have the perspective of God as a spiritual cop. So if we have this point of view of God as this spiritual cop, we're going to engage with him in that way. The spiritual cop, he's, he, he's up in heaven just going, you know, I'm just waiting to bust you. I'm waiting for you to mess up. I'm waiting for you to do something wrong so that I can come in and show you how wrong you are. Or maybe we have the, the, the second perspective that's wrong is, is maybe a disgruntled employer. 
I don't know if you've ever worked for someone that's kind of a curmudgeon, but I do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. I have worked for curmudgeons, but... Maybe we have this disgruntled employer that, you know what, has these quotas that says, you know what, you have to have, you're not doing enough. You're not preaching the gospel enough. You're not posting enough Christian memes on Facebook. You're not praying enough. You're not giving enough. You're not volunteering enough. You're not doing all these things. It, 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 we view God as this, this, this employer. So once we got saved, we, we now have this checklist of things to do and to not do and make sure that we are achieving those quotas. Or maybe we view God as a disappointed parent. We got the parent part right, but he's disappointed. You're not meeting my expectation. You're not, you're not meeting the goal that I've set. I've, yeah, I've called you to this, but you know what? You're falling short. I've called you to greatness, but I guess I got it wrong. You see, I believe, that's the hard stuff. Now we're going to get good stuff. I know it's real quiet. It's all right. I believe there is a must-have perspective that Christians must have. There is a must-have, and it's the only, you know what, the world can have its stuff of, 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 you know, there's multiple ways to interpret things. I believe there is only one way that we are to have, a, the, there's only one point of view of God that we are supposed to have. And it's, and it's found in the Bible, I, you know, not ironically, believe it or not, But why is this important, right? Why is us having the correct perspective important? Because if perspective determines our engagement or perspective determines our response, then that means we have to have the, if we want to engage with God in the proper way, we have to view God in the proper way. And so if you could turn to your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, we're going to be in Four through se uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, but we're going to hang out for a second in verse number 6. And it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own child. You see, the only perspective to have of God is one of a father is one of a father. And not just a father, but a good father. You see, here's the, here, here's the issue, is that when I, for some of us, when I say the term God is a father, immediately you want to recoil. Why? Because maybe you have had experiences with a father that aren't healthy. Maybe you grew up in an environment where you had an absent father or an abusive father or an emotionally distant father or just simply a father that just, he was there, but you weren't close. And so it's this foreign concept that God is a father. But see, the, the reality is, is when, when Jesus came, he was dealing with people. He, he, when Jesus came, the first century 
the people of Israel in that first century had, had kind of the same perspective. You see, up until this point, Jesus, up until the, this point, peop, uh, 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 the people of Israel, they viewed God in a different way. Not in a, it wasn't incorrect, it was incomplete. See, they had names for God like Elohim, which was creator. They had Adonai, which was master, Yahweh, which was God. These, these names, some of them were so holy that they couldn't even be spoken aloud. But when Jesus came and he says, God the Father, this was a radical perspective shift. He shifted the people of Israel's perspective of who God was. Because up until this point, they, in order to be in the presence of God, in order to do what we just did in worship, to be in his presence, for the Holy Spirit to come, that, was a, that, that hadn't happened yet. Maybe it only happened a few times for select individuals. But not readily accessible like it is for us today. So when Jesus came, he radically shifted the people of Israel's perspective from this creator, uh, this almighty being, this reverent being, to, an in, to a father that desires intimacy. And now, does that change who God is? Absolutely not. He is still the creator. He is still the almighty. He is still the, he is still God. But I believe that he cares more about the title of father than anything else. He cares more about the title of father than anything else because, look at, I am a father. Oliver is somewhere around here. Is he over there? I don't know where he's at. Anyway, he's somewhere on his iPad probably. But as a father, I am a provider. As a father, I am a protector. Man, last night, our dog, we were going to bed, it's about like 10.30, and all of them, I hate my dogs sometimes. I love them, but I also hate them. Because just all of a sudden, all of them just rah, rah, just get up, and we, you know, we have a subfloor, so it's like they're scratching, the, you know, they're, and they're thrun, thundering outside. I'm like, man, someone's going to break in. So I'm like, you know, I may or may not be armed at the time, but uh, I'm thinking someone's breaking into our house. Like, and I look, and it's a cat. I'm like, you guys, like, and I didn't want to yell at them because I didn't want to discourage that behavior if it was a human being next time. But still, I am a protector. I'm going to protect my home. I provide for my family. All of those things fall under the title of father. So when we say that God, that God is Elohim, the creator, or, or Adonai, the, the master, or any, the, the, any name that we have for God, he is all of those things, but all of those names and characteristics and perspectives can be under this umbrella of Father. So, that being the case, we ha just because he's a father, do we know that he is a good father? Well, where am I at? There we are. Well, first off, 
before we go there, let's go here. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, first, let's go. So we're, we're going to go 1 through 5. We did 6, now we're going to go to one, uh, verse 1. It goes, think of it, of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And now that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his son, sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own child. So before, this emphasizes the point that before Jesus came, we, humanity, was subject to the law. We weren't yet ready to, we were slaves to the spiritual realities of the world. We weren't ready to engage with God. Humanity wasn't ready to engage with God from this perspective. And then Jesus came and he changed everything. And he demonstrated, here's the thing, is, is that to answer the question, is God a good father? We look at the demonstration of who God is through the very life of Jesus. Jesus didn't have to come and do miracles. He was still fully God without doing miracles. He could have he, he lived a, a perfect sinless life Sacrifice died and, and, and redeemed humanity without doing one miracle. But because he is a God full of compassion, full of love, I think of the, the, the story of the blind man who comes to Jesus, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the leper that, that comes to Jesus, and he says, if you wanted to, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response wasn't reluctant. The Bible says that he, he, full of compassion, says, I want to. The Bible also says that Jesus does no thing unless he sees his father do it first. So, every miracle that Jesus does is because he first sees his father do it. Or, what, what it's saying is, is that everything that Jesus does is a mirror of what God in heaven wants. So that being the case, that Jesus did not have to do a single miracle and still redeem humanity, but chose to bless, heal, provide, and show the compassionate, loving nature of our Father in heaven depicts that we have a good Father. But then he actually doubles down on it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 through 33, he says, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? 
And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that, uh, that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So then he's, he's going, look at, look at the world around you. The world God created. The beauty and the splendor. And the Bible says that, that we, humanity, is the jewel of his creation. That God was showing off when he made us. And Jesus emphasizes it and he goes, they don't plant, they don't harvest, but yet they are provided for. How much more will your heavenly father provide for us? Okay, you don't believe me. All right, it's all right. Luke 11, 11, verse 13, says, Your fathers, uh, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? King James states, instead of you, you sinful people, he says, you evil people. Meaning, like, us, me, I'm a good dad. At least I'm told that. I'm a good dad. I know how to give good gifts to my kid. And me being evil compared to the love that God has for me. Every good gift, James says, every good thing comes from heaven. So, <laughs> I know how to give good gifts. Where do I get that from? My heavenly father. Because James says that every good gift comes from him. Therefore, anything good that we see in the world is authored by a good father. But the problem is, because of our experiences, the, the devil comes in and he wants to lie and distort and shift and say, well, this didn't happen, therefore he must not. The problem is, is, is that when our expectation do, doesn't meet reality, when we expect a good thing to happen and then it doesn't, there's a little question mark instead of a period or an, excla an exclamation behind good father, there's a question mark. Good father? Well, if he's a good father, these things wouldn't happen. See, if the devil can cast one bit of doubt, one, he, the devil is really patient. He knows that if, if he throws this giant boulder at you, you can see it coming and go, ah, I'm going I'm to step out of the way. It's kind of like, it's kinda like if, it, if, you're on a, if you're on a ship, right, and you're pl plotting a course, and you're off by even a fraction of a degree, 
over time, that fraction of a degree becomes hundreds of miles. That's what the devil does. He knows he can't throw you off completely all in one shot, but if he can just drop these little, put these little question marks at the end of sentences where God put a period. That's what he did with Eve, right? He caused, he caused Eve to question herself and then the, the character and nature of who God is. Oftentimes, that's what hell does. Hell doesn't, doesn't need to come in and, and, and outright lie to you, but he just all he needs to do is cause you to question the character of who God is. Because if he could do that, he knows over time, and if you don't immediately correct that statement over time, you'll be hundreds of miles away from where you want to be. But God, being a good father, can correct that perspective and then you're back on track. He can close hundreds of miles in a second. Because where we, or where, where we allow the devil to put a question mark, he has a really good eraser. He goes, no, 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 no. I put a period. I am a good father. And the best way, in my, I, I think, the best way to remind ourselves or to erase that question mark is to remind ourselves of what he's done. See, the devil likes to use short-term amnesia as a tactic. Or what he likes to do is he likes to make us focus on the current circumstance and how because there's not immediate action from God or what we can perceive as immediate action, we get consumed with this instead of reminding ourselves of what God did back here. I'm reminded of where, when David was brought before Goliath, when, when David was brought before Goliath and, and, and Goliath is mocking Israel and mocking David, and he says, you know, you bring me this, this dog? Like, what, am I not good enough? Like, he was, all, he was almost offended. Little did he know that he was going to be headless in about five minutes. And David, he even tells Saul this, and then he tells Goliath this. He goes, he goes God delivered me from the paw of the lion. God delivered me from the paw of the bear. And he's going to deliver me from you. And the vultures or the, the, the birds, are going to feast on your body. David was a thug, man. David was gangster. Like, he, he had no problems. Like, look it. I got this sling. I'm really good at it. And my God delivered me from those things. He's going to deliver me from you. And this is just the first time I have an audience. David, in that moment, was rooted in what God did to get him through what he was going through. We have to remind ourselves of how good God is because of what God has done already in our past. Our testimony is powerful, church. Our testimony gets us through. It reminds us 
of who God is, of the relationship, our God history, if you, if for, for the lack of a better term. The last little bit that I think that displays who the character of who God is is, is found in Luke 15:20. And it's the, it's the parable of the, the lost or prodigal son. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's common. If you, if you don't know what it is, it's son comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. Basically what he's saying is, I wish you were dead so that I could have what's owed me. And the father goes, okay, here's your inheritance. He goes, distant land, wastes it. There's a famine in the land. He's eaten in a pig trough. And for a Jewish guy, that time, that was a huge no-no. He comes to his right mind and he says, my, my father's servants eat better than this. I'm going to go back home and just be a servant. And so he heads home, and this is where, we pay, this is where I want to emphasize, is in Luke 15, 20. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The phrase I want to emphasize is still a long way off. This is just my thought. He was waiting for him. He was still a long way off. Filled with love and compassion, he got up and ran to him. Now, there's a whole, it's been preached many times from this pulpit, so we're not gonna, I'm not going to go into that, but there, there's a whole thing of, of the dishonor that it would be for a, for a father or, or to run to his son, to run at all. But he didn't care. He didn't care about the dishonor. His son was home. The thing that I think about is, is that he's sitting, the, 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 the mental image that I get in my mind is I believe that he posted up on that front porch of his house waiting for the, looking down the road for his son to come home. And the first time he sees his son walking up the road, stands up and runs to him. And before the son can even claim an identity that isn't his, before he can say anything, the father comes up to him, puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and shoes on his feet, and restores him. And guess what? He restores him as, a, as his son again. Guess what? He has a new inheritance. He restores him as his son. Therefore, when he dies, he's already, he already had an inheritance that he squandered. But now... He's restored as a son. He has a new inheritance. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, I deliberately did not say the end. It says, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Because Jesus came, he shifted the perspective that the people of Israel had, made them 
and us, adopted us into the family of God, we are co-heirs to the kingdom of heaven alongside Jesus. That is the only perspective that we are allowed. Oh, I did not know that was on. (laughs) That is the only perspective that we are allowed to have. Only is a good father. We, when we view God, we, view, we must view him as a good father. One who has love and compassion and desires and hope for us. Despite what our current, past, or future circumstances say, our father is a good father that wants good things for his kids. I could not be a good, a good father, a good, a good husband, a provider, a protector, all of these things, unless my father is. My father and heavenly father. The reality is, is with this, is this could be, this... <laughs> This subject can be talked about for hours. There is not enough time in a day for us to fully grasp the, fa- the, the, the nuances or the, intric- the intricacies of who God the Father is. But we don't, we don't need all of that time. What we just need to do is we need to leave here understanding that God the Father is first, not just that term Abba in verse 6. Where'd it go? That term Abba, it means dad. I don't look at my, my dad and I don't, I don't walk into his office or go to his house and say, Hello, Father. I, I probably will now because it's funny. <laughs> no one really prepares you from where your kids go from daddy to dad to bruh. <laughs> My son called me that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I said it back to him, embarrassed him. He stopped. Um, but I don't, I don't sit there and go to my dad's house or sit with my dad and he, he's, he's not in my phone as father. He's dad. Why? Because there's a level of intimacy between us where I, I have, he probably doesn't like this, but I don't knock when I go over to his house. I just walk in. I walk in, he's in his office. What's up, man? And I go to his fridge, see what he got, <laughs> sit on his, mess with his TV, and then it's, it's one of these things of, why? Because there's intimacy there. There's intimacy between him and I. Our Heavenly Father wants that same intimacy with us. Our Heavenly Father wants the intimacy for us to come in and say, hey, what's up? Now, does that demean him? Does that mean that we are not being reverent and holy and all of this stuff? Absolutely not. 
We see he is still a holy, reverent God. But at the end of the day, he cares more about the title of father, of dad, than he does anything else. Because that title encompasses everything else. Does that make sense? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll get out of here. Father God, we just thank you for the fact that when we come before you, we don't just come as an employee. God, we don't just come as because you're this spiritual cop or this disappointed father, God, but you are a good dad and you have good things for us. So when we come before you, God, that is the perspective that we will from this day forward have of you. Because at the end of the day, you want us to engage with you from that perspective. You want us to engage with you as a son, as a daughter, with a loving father. God, right now, I just break off any spirit of, of religion that, that would say, uh, this religious spirit that would say that, no, that's not who you are. Your word very clearly states that you are a good father and nothing else. You are a good father that wants good things for us. God, I just, I break off any, any experience with, with, with church or religion or, or with well-intentioned believers that may have distorted our perspective of who you are. And I thank you for what you're going to do in and through this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is going to come on up. If you have any need that you want uh, contending for, please come see them. They want to pray with you. They want to love on you. Um, We thank you for coming out this morning. You are free to go. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.